Warning, this podcast may contain bad language, an audio descriptive narrative that some listeners may find offensive. Cleves, a man in his mid-thirties, sits looking at a microphone. That was my audition. Do you think, how, how did you feel that that went? Uh, pretty poorly. Uh, Selena, do you want to jump in? What, on your performance? We don't need to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Seesaw Podcast. With your hosts, T, Cleves and Selena. Every week, bringing some much-needed balance and humour to brighten up what can sometimes be a dark, disabled world. Welcome back to Seesaw Podcast, the poorly audio-described sex scene that is Disability Podcasts. We are back once again with fantastic guests, and I just mentioned a sex scene, which is probably not the right way to start this. We always do this. We have a great ruin show lined it. up and then just ruin it with raps. Yep. yep. Well, let's move swiftly on, shall we? Do we have any quick QBN? Quick QBN? What? It's just QBN. That's quick, quick blind news. Yeah, quick, quick blind news. Near dragging it out. Okay. <laughs> I've got a little bit. So every six minutes, someone will begin to lose their sight. Okay. No, no further questions. Cleves, what have you got? Hopefully it's more interesting. It's a factoid, isn't it? Is it, is it news? It's news to me. I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. Cleves, what have you got? <laughs> Blind man embarks on a 110-mile walk for charity. Hey, wasn't this this Dave guy? No, that's a different one. That's a Hadrian's uh-huh. Wall thing or something. That's Blind Dave. Yeah, Blind Dave. <laughs> oh yeah blind dave of course <laughs> fuck is blind dave i think he did it for west brom he's funding my football training oh that's right okay so you have to sort of support him by proxy great i'll say qbn a blind bride asked all of her wedding party to close their eyes, apart from the main wedding party who wore blindfolds so they could have the same experience during the ceremony as her. I mean, why didn't I think of that? Would you have wanted to? I want everyone to see my dress. What's the point? (laughs) I I imagine they would have not had blindfolds afterwards. (laughs) Just in the ceremony? Yeah, just ceremony. And there we go. Okay, so this week we are joined by more fantastic guests. This time around, we have Eric and Dakota from IDC Digital, who works with Netflix and loads of others. So this is a really fantastic chat. If you've ever wondered what goes into audio description and what makes excellent audio description, this is the episode for you. I'd like to welcome Eric and Dakota to the Seesaw Podcast. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thanks for having us. So you guys work for IDC Digital. Um, if we could just start off, if you could just share with our listeners about what your company does and what you both do at the company. Sure. So my name is Eric Wickstrom. I'm the director of audio production for International Digital Center, IDC. Uh, we are a full service post-production facility. We do everything from you know dubbing to what we're here to talk about audio description. We do uh, captioning, color correction, pretty much anything you would need, you know, A to Z for a post-production, we do. 
But what I focus on, like I said, is uh, is podcasting, audio description, and a little bit with dubbing. And then Dakota? So I am the, the senior audio description writer. So my focus is primarily on writing audio description, but I also work quality control to make sure everything's A-OK with the recordings after the fact, make sure there's no line flubs or misreads or anything like that. So yeah, I kind of work on both sides of it. So so when did IDC start? Like, uh, Can you give some insight on when you started up on, on, on all projects, not necessarily like audio description and sort of like why why you felt there was uh, the need or why the company really got started in the, uh, the inception? Yeah, so IDC has been around geez, probably about 30 years, maybe a little longer. I think the company was originally started as a, a dubbing facility like for, for physical media. So taking stuff, creating DVDs, creating tapes, that kind of stuff, duplication. So that's how the company started. And then over the years, as the industry has changed so rapidly, we you know, the company has kind of tried to adapt along with it. So I guess seven, eight years ago, with the streaming services started coming online and the need for, for captioning and, and other needs, uh, the company at that point had evolved to doing those services and just kind of fell in with Netflix, uh, especially in the beginning. And then somewhere along the lines, Netflix decided that they wanted to up their audio description offerings and approached us as a company to get involved with that. And uh, Marcy Gilbert, the owner of the company, brought in I think Aaron DeWard, who's a fantastic voice in the field. And I believe at that point, Dakota, what, she brought in she brought you in and one other person who who started with with Aaron was that you and who else? Uh, myself and a man named Brandon Harrison. He he came a little before me. I'm not sure how much earlier he was there, but I kind of got in right at the start, like a little bit after they started. I think they had only done a handful of projects in audio description right. by the time that I uh, was brought on. Right, and so then the department started to. You know, they did well with the first few projects and there started to be more of a need for it. And it became, it was going to be a whole separate side of the company, you know, a uh, full scale department. And at that point, I answered an ad because I had been doing audio description or being involved in audio description, nowhere near the level I am now, but I'd certainly been around audio description at that point for about five or six years. And I had been laid off from the company I was working with and I responded to the ad at IDC and they hired me. And from there, we were doing, I don't know, maybe five projects a month, you know, and we started ramping up slowly and that became maybe 10, 15 projects a month. And then we hired, we were able to hire a couple more writers, including Liz Gutman and, and then a couple other writers and some more QC people. And then I think eventually swelled to probably, you know, 40, 50 projects a month. Uh, but that's, that's kind of the genesis of all that kind of got started to where we are now. So how does something like that come about then? Let's say Netflix has a, a- a project that they want audio description for do you have to enter a tender for that and there's loads of other companies vying for it or is it a case that uh netflix come to you specifically and say look we've got this show we've got this movie we want some audio description for it uh you know i think generally again we're there were one of many many companies that netflix deals with they have a lot of partners so it depends on the project i think they they try to spread it around i think most companies do i don't I don't think it's a good idea for anybody to be using just one provider of audio description. There's a lot of voices in the field. Some are clearly much better than others. 
but I certainly think amongst the the group of of studios that are trying to do a, to do good work and really care about the product, it's it's good to have everybody involved because you know I, I think we all kind of learn from each other. Just like you never want just one narrator doing all of the 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 projects, you know that's that's a problem sometimes. Some studios only use you know either one man and one woman, and that's all they use for everything, and that becomes boring. So I, I think it's good to have a lot of different voices writing and stuff. So. There are things they probably come directly to us for, for various reasons, whether it be locale, maybe I'm guessing, or, or, or maybe things we've done in the past for them that they think is similar. But uh, generally they spread it around and, and yeah, it's kind of, you know, everybody has equal chance to do, to do work, not just with them, but other clients as well. So as there ever shows that you've seen that are coming up from whatever service it is and you've got, I really want to do that. Do you ever have to pitch for that show? You know, we tend not to do that. Um, they don't really love clients, you know, don't particularly love when you do that. Just because, again, they, they, they're they so busy and they have, you know, it, once you get, you start allowing vendors to start petitioning work. Now you're going to start getting, you know, 100 emails a month from people saying, oh, we want to work on that. Oh, we want to work on this kind of thing. So we don't tend to do that. We're lucky. We're a lot of really cool projects kind of filter our way. We've got to do some really amazing stuff. The only project that I've ever been guilty of petitioning was probably the, the documentary called The Last Dance, which was a, a documentary about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Um, yeah. And so that one, that came across the wire. And that's the only time I ever reached out directly to anyone uh, and, and said, hey, I really want to do this one. Because I, I grew up in the 90s. I was a New York Knicks fan and that whole era of basketball. I'm a huge NBA fan. So that one I really wanted, and we got it, and we did it. I'm really proud of that project. It turned out really, really well. So, but other than that, no. But again, we've been very lucky, and I think our work speaks for itself. Where we we continually get really interesting stuff to work on. Now, not you know, again, nobody can do everything, you know, and nor should they. You know, it's it's okay that other studios get really cool work as long as it's been doing done properly. I'm always glad to see it spread around and and it'll eventually something if we miss out on one, the next one will come to us and then the other studio will be upset that they didn't get it. So it's, you know, you're just, you're just glad to get, get some cool stuff to work on. And, and that's it. Um, right. Dakota, we've never really, you've never, you've petitioned me to write some stuff over the years that's come in, but we've never really gone to the, once it's in, I'll have writers petition me. Like, hey, can I work on that? Or, hey, that falls on my wheelhouse. But as far as direct to the client, no. But there's definitely been a couple you've come to me and been like, I want that one. Yeah, I wouldn't say that there's any that before we've been awarded the project that I've been like, oh, we should go out and try for that one. But certainly things that have come into our office and we know that we're going to be working on them. There have been a couple that I've been like, oh, I would I would like to work on that. That seems like it would be really fun or that seems like it's sort of in my niche as eric likes to call it i tend to work on a lot of fantasy shows and sci-fi and and that sort of stuff so so there there have been shows along the along those lines that i've definitely been like oh that would be really fun to work on speaking of other projects you've worked on we haven't touched on this yet i mean i've recently been watching the witcher and i have heard your name dakota and correct me if i'm wrong but I believe it is IDC Digital, and your name came up as, as writing for that. But is, is there anything that people listening would know that you, you've done the audio description for? Um, well, that one was super fun, for sure. Um, I've done all three seasons of that. I'm a little sad to see Henry Cavill be off of that one, but that's a different topic. 
the, probably the biggest one and the one that I'm like the most proud of would be that I did all eight seasons of Game of Thrones, which was a lot of fun to work on. That was something that I worked on pretty much exclusively, uh, just that project for, I'd say, what, Eric, like three or four months just to get that done because it was all after it had already aired. Yeah, that's over two, two and a half, three months straight of just writing Game of Thrones. Maybe almost those four months, actually, he worked on that straight. So with Game of Thrones, did they want to bring the audio description midway through and you had to retroactively go back and do the earlier episodes then? Um, we... It was actually after the fact. Uh, they had already finished all of it. Um, so we did it kind of all in one swoop. When, when HBO decided um, to launch their streaming service, they began backfilling those old tentpole titles. So when it originally aired, it aired without AD, unfortunately. But we were again, that's that was just luck of the draw. We got to do we've got to do a few things for, for HBO, for the backfill stuff. And you know, Game of Thrones was one of those white whale titles that I think we all kind of wanted over the years. And it came to us, and I, I'm extremely proud. Dakota, you know, he knows how I feel, how he did on it. He he absolutely crushed that. I don't think there's a better writer in the world, audio description wise, that could have handled that project in Dakota. That's just that was just great luck, great luck for the blind community that it fell in his lap because you know I knew it was going to be perfectly done. And then we got Emily Eden, who's one of our British voiceover people. She voiced it, and we're lucky that she could commit to doing uh, seventy-three episodes. And she was, I think, six months pregnant at the time, coming in, and this was during the during the pandemic. So we were, you know, it's a lot of work, but it turned out amazing. And again, Dakota did an amazing job on it. Uh, he does The Witcher, like he said. And I'm trying to think of some of the other really... There's some other ones I'm forgetting, Dakota, now. But um, what are the, some of the other big titles you, you've worked on? People would know. Well, I was going to say, uh, since you asked about ones that I like specifically asked for when they came across our desk, we didn't go out of our way for Game of Thrones, but Eric and I had talked about it. And we were we were in talks with HBO for various things. and And he and I were both like, well... If Game of Thrones come, comes across, Dakota, you will definitely do that one. <laughs> and I was like, yes, please, that would be great. I guess we can talk about this since it's already out. A month or two ago, finished up the anime ab- adaptation for One Piece. That was super fun. Um, yeah, One Piece, Top Boy is another one he wrote. Top Boy. That's pretty popular. Yeah, I did um, that's a- all of the Netflix seasons of that. I think there were like two seasons that were on just exclusively British television before that. I'm not sure if those have audio description or not. <laughs> yeah. What else am I forgetting? You wrote some of the movies you wrote. Come on, brag a little. Come on. Um, <laughs> well, I worked on the the big Ryan Gosling movie that came out last year, The Gray Man. That was a big release for us. Let's see. Vikings Valhalla. Vikings Valhalla, for sure. Yeah, that, that was a big one for Netflix. One of my personal favorites is a little lesser known, but I would say significantly lesser known, but... Is this German show called Dark that was actually one of the first, one of the early projects that I worked on about three seasons. It's like a sci-fi show, really, really interesting. And I never would have found it if I, uh, or I, I mean, I might have, but I'm glad that I got to work on it because it was something that I might not have had a chance to view otherwise. And I might not have, you know, had the opportunity to enjoy it. And another yeah. one to go to wrote last year, uh, the, the theatrical the all quiet in the western front oh yes that, that was not that's one that we saw a lot of really i saw a lot of just unsolicited positive feedback for for the whole track itself but especially the way he handled the brutality of of the subject matter but with real grace and 
uh, real care. And people, I, I saw multiple people calling that out. So that's one I certainly think he has every right to say, hey, I did that one too. Uh, but there's, I mean, I mean, Dakota's been with me. The, I mean, I've been with Dakota. I, I joined after him, but he's been with me the longest of the team of writers that I have now. And I am, I am blessed. I say this all the time. I am blessed to have, for my money, the best team in the world doing this work. And the writing is the far away the most important part of that. It's not even close. There's not even a close second, in my opinion. So to have the team I do, and especially somebody like Dakota, he's done, I mean, how many hundreds of things with me at this point? And, and every one of them is just, you know, is as good as he takes the same care with Game of Thrones or some C-level movie you've never heard of. He takes the same care in doing those projects. And, and I'm very lucky to have him and, and my entire team. So you know, again, hundreds of things he's done. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill with me over the years are there some shows that when it lands on your desk and you've got to write a script do you think ah are there some shows that are more difficult to write a script for what what are the easier ones to do i guess not necessarily easier the things that are quicker to write tend to be the ones that have you know more dialogue so there's less space for the description itself but it can prove tricky because then you're trying to fit in description that makes sense into these very small windows, and you're trying to find the most succinct and accurate way to talk about it. For example, that would be in like a documentary or a reality series or something like that. But if you're in, you know, fantasy shows where there's lots of big battles or sci-fi where there's, you know, space sequences and that sort of stuff, and there's all this time, you have a lot more time to get for lack of a bit a better term, a little more flowery with the language, but that can prove challenging in terms of like maintaining a steady pace and getting through it as quickly as some of the other projects. Um, so I think all of them sort of present their own unique challenges, but it's sort of part of the, the fun of writing it is that you get to see different sides of it and see how, how you can make it the best track that you possibly can. With regards to the language, how do you decide how detailed to be? How do you decide what to describe? Or is it just a case of there's a gap, so I'll fit as much in as possible? It's not always fit in as much as possible. I don't want to draw attention to perhaps, this is the wrong word, but unnecessary details. Like I don't want to over-describe and make the audience take in too much information because that can be that can sort of scramble your head a little bit. So I would say it's it's sort of about like finding a balance of what really seems like the is is the filmmaker's intent of what they want you to pay attention to and find ways to describe that and find ways to make sure that everything important is addressed even when you know there's not necessarily enough space for it. It makes for an interesting challenge sometimes because sometimes there is more dialogue and there's not enough space for everything you need to describe. And you either have to find little bits of dialogue that you can talk over that are not necessarily like crucial to the plot. Or ideally, you don't want to talk over any of the dialogue. But sometimes if there's something really, really important that is called back upon later, you might have to talk over something in order to address that. Otherwise, people will be very confused down the line and stuff like that. 
Yeah, and that that over the overwriting thing is it's it's definitely a problem with new writers or young writers, and honestly, some veteran writers too are are very uh, bad about overwriting. And to Dakota's point, we've really worked over the years trying to limit that, trying to trying to to take away that urge we'll have to fill up every second. Because what we're trying to do is is replicate the experience for a blind or low vision viewer the same way a sighted viewer would have. So a good example of that would be like a horror film. You know, if if the main character is walking down a hallway, dark hallway for 40 seconds, and you know, there's suspenseful music and you're waiting for somebody to come out and, and jump on them and scare the hell out of you. When you're in the theater as a sighted viewer, you're watching this, you've got that buildup and their music, and there's a lot of other things at play, it's not just dialogue, you know, there's music and there's other things that have been built into these tracks that we don't want to be on top of also, which we try to sound effects, gunshots, that kind of stuff too. We you know. A lot of audio description companies just love to just talk over everything. And it's not just dialogue. I think there's other things you need to be careful about talking over. So, you know, for those 40 seconds when they're when they're walking down the hallway, some writers will be like, he looks left, he looks right, his eyes shift, he looks up, he looks down, he looks right, he looks shut up. Like all this guy's doing <laughs> is walking down a hallway. Like he's walking down a dark hallway. That's it. The man enters yeah. the hallway and starts down. And then that's it. Let it play out. Let that blind viewer experience that same. Suspense. 40 seconds of yeah. silence and suspense that, that the sighted viewer is experiencing. Because, again, that's why the music's there, and that's why the sound effects, the creaking floorboards, all that stuff uh, is there for a reason. And shut up. You know, you don't have to talk about it. So that's a pet peeve of mine with AD. The other one, my, my favorite pet peeve, and Dakota knows me, this is here. I, mean, I haven't had to say this stuff in years, but it's coming back to me now. But, you know, when someone says he picks up a gun, he shoots him. Well, yeah, we hear the gunshot. We don't have to be told. The person was shot or, you know, he reaches, you know, he, he gets in the car and starts the engine. Well, we hear the engine turn over. We don't need you to tell me that. The en- so get out of the way of that stuff. Um, he looks up at the ceiling. Well, he just looks up. Like, what else is he looking at? You know, like, you know, that kind of it's that basic that 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 amateurish writing sometimes that, that need to overfill. It's it's definitely something that we we concentrate on that. we I certainly wish more more people would. um you know, there's there's definitely a problem with things being underdescribed in the field. Um, we certainly have, have on, onboarded writers and have to tell them, hey, you need to fill this up a hell of a lot more than you're doing right now. But I would say equally as much, I've had to tell writers, hey, you don't need 50 words here. You know, 30 will do. So it's a balance. And the really good writers like Dakota and like Liz Gutman and Stephen Christopher and Betty Capoe and, and, and my team, like they they're really good at finding that balance. Um, but it's certainly something you have to, it comes with experience and it comes with putting some thought behind it for sure. And talking of under-describing, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on describing race because like someone who obviously uses audio description all of the time when I watch programs, there's so many times that I've watched a program and I've come to the end and I haven't realized at all what race a person is and i think that can play a massive part to actually what you're watching what are your guys views on describing race yeah that's a it's a huge focus and something that we're incredibly proud to to be seen and i think you know rightfully so not myself but uh folks that work with me as is kind of pioneers in this area because it's something that we were pushing for for a lot of years behind the scenes being able to talk not just about race but the way we talk about body types of people and uh, physical descriptions of people and sexual sex scenes and sexuality. And, you know, for a lot of years, 
You couldn't talk about the race of people. You couldn't talk about their body shapes. And if there was a sex scene, the language had to be PG. Even if the movie was R-rated and like this really erotic film, that you know, it was ridiculous. The film is full of sex, and the in the AD track is something that my ten-year-old daughter could listen to. It's you know, it's insane. So there's been a lot of these conversations. So amongst race, I'd say three years ago or, or so, you're starting to hear a lot more of it now. And I will say that's a huge credit to uh, my writer Liz Gutman, who you know you've probably heard a lot of the stuff she's described. She has some amazing credits as well to her name. And uh, a few years ago, we started having conversations with clients generally. And to be honest, we're still having these conversations with clients and we are still getting pushback from some clients about wanting to do it. But we started having these conversations around the time of of Bridgerton season one. And uh, at the time, the industry standard, to your point, Selena, it was was don't describe race. Mm. And in Netflix, we went to them, we talked to them, and we kind of just missed the cutoff. You know what I mean? So it premiered. And everything was very just neutral as usual. And the the no better way of saying it, the shit hit the fan. Um, and that was the lightning rod. And that's the one where the community just said enough collectively. Like this is absurd. It's a multiracial cast, and we need to know that these characters are multiracial and we deserve this information. So the shit hit the fan. We took a lot of heat. Liz took a lot of heat, I thought unfairly, because she certainly wanted to be doing things differently and the industry hadn't caught up on a whole it wasn't a netflix problem it was a, a hulu and a netflix and an hbo and a parent you name the streaming everybody hadn't caught up so nobody can claim at that point that they were really pushing for it um but to netflix's credit they listened and when season two came around they they called liz and me and they said hey you know we really want to focus on these issues and i said to them at that point hey how about this even better you let us go back and redo season one from scratch. Let's fix this. Let's make it right. And they said, yes, they greenlit it. They paid for it. Again, to their credit, 100%. Most clients probably would have been like, leave well enough alone. Let's just move forward. But they said, no, let's go ahead. And again, we, I don't want to call it writing a wrong because nobody did anything wrong. Everybody was operating under the way things were. But things evolve. And once they evolved, they evolved past that. So it was a, it was a chance to go back immediately almost in real time and, and kind of update and evolve those tracks. So if you go back and listen to Bridgerton now, season one has all that great stuff in it. Season two has all that great stuff in it. And that's very much a focus uh, because of the community. Most of the change in audio description, most of the things that have happened good and some bad, they all need to come from the community. They need to be, you know, again, I could be a spokesperson. Dakota could be the spokesperson. You know, we can do our part, but again, we, we're only here to serve, serve you if you're listening as a blind or low vision user that's our job our job is to get up in the morning and ask ourselves how do we best serve you guys today so we need to hear it from you so and clients need to hear it from you so i think that the the groundswell and the backlash that bridgerton got loud enough not just on bridgerton but across the industry that enabled us to to work get, again updating those tracks but more importantly uh, working with clients like netflix and more evolved clients to upgrade update their internal style guides to allow for it. And that's why, especially in our tracks, now some some providers, some studios doing AD are still not doing this. They're still not describing race. Selena, which I'm sure is super frustrating Yeah. Um, to your point, but that's, that's their choice. For whatever reason, they're not evolving. And unfortunately, there are people out there teaching audio description that are still teaching it the way it was being taught 20, 25 years ago, which was very, don't talk about these things. They're refusing to evolve. And that's there's nothing I can do about that. All I can do as the head of our department 
is to instruct my writers and uh, to do this work and to describe these things and to make sure we're talking about them. Now, we have gotten feedback the other way. We've gotten some nasty emails uh, from people in the community saying, why are you talking about these things? It doesn't matter. It's ridiculous. Don't waste my time listening to this. Uh, you know, I can't speak to those people. Uh, I, I disagree with them. I think it is important and we're going to continue to do it, but they're entitled to their opinions. Now, as far as how we go about uh, doing it on a case-to-case basis, I'm going to throw it back over to Dakota because he certainly can can answer because I'm sure there's challenges involved with the actual writing side of it that I'm unaware of. But from the technical side and from the administrative side, that's kind of some of, the, of how this has evolved just the last few years. Yeah, I, well, I'd say that we as a as a department have had a lot of conversations about it in terms of what sort of descriptions are you know appropriate for like racial descriptors. I know that we've had a lot of feedback from the community via you know Facebook, via Twitter or X. I'm not sure which one you're supposed to call it now, but you know that that one. There's a lot of people who don't appreciate descriptions that involve sort of like equating skin tone to like food things and that makes total sense like and so we just sort of try to listen to what the community has said whether it's in reaction to something that we have put out on a track or whether it's us actively engaging and asking beforehand to see what they prefer you know it's not an ongoing process and and we're always learning and changing and trying to put out the best description that we can in the most favorable and respectful uh, way possible. And we're back. Audio description complete. I should have thought about what I was going to say before I said it. Yep. The audio description isn't complete, though, is it? There's more? There is more. Next week, have you ever wanted to get into the audio description game? Maybe next week. You can find out some of the do's and don'ts of audio description, as well as more of the actual narration part, as opposed to the sort of writing and that sort of thing. There's a bit of everything on offer next week. If you want to get yourself a nice, sweet audio description job, maybe this is some pointers on how to start. We love getting people jobs on this show. That's how we roll, baby. All about that. I can get someone an unpaid internship doing audio work, edit out a podcast, and I will write you a reference. And on that bleak note of unpaid work, we will catch you next week for more ITC Digital. Thank you for listening to Seesaw Podcast. Your feedback and comments mean a lot to us, so if you'd like to get in touch, you can do so in the following ways. You can find us on Twitter at SeesawPod, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Seesaw Podcast. And you can also join us at SeesawPodcast.com. Remember to like, rate, review and share with a friend. This podcast was recorded in front of a blind audience. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.